This is the A. I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. This is the A, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. As always, um, the Yay is sponsored by uh, Central Works, a new play theater headed up by Gary Graves and Jan Sleifler. Central Works, a new play theater, reinventing theater one play at a time. And we, as always, want to thank Central Works for sponsoring the Yay. Happy post-Thanksgiving, everyone, and a happy Hanukkah. And we have a very special guest, Sharon Shao. Sharon, how are you? Hi, I am doing well. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, exactly. And we were talking off mic. You've been involved. Uh, you were involved in my piece, The Breck Project. Actually, in The Breck Project in total, you were an Wait, athlete. Which Breck Project were you in? Uh, well, she was my uh, 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 prosecutor, Liang, in my piece. And she oh, was also the, okay. she was the moderator in uh, Scott Munson's piece, I'm With Her. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And also, you've been involved in um, an SF Playground. We just talked about uh, a piece called Fever. And also, you've been involved with uh, Cutting Ball. And you've also been directed by Kieran Bishia, who uh, we had her on uh, a while back. So it's a small world, small theater world. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I think it was over a year ago that we had Kieran on. Yeah, 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 exactly. And she was talking about Sir Raphael, and that was the piece that you were in. Um, as I begin all my, yeah, as I begin uh, every podcast, Norman, happy post-Thanksgiving, and how was your holiday season? Holy, is. you know, so I keep making, and this is this has been my career for a long time, so I shouldn't be surprised, but I got an empty calendar. So I'm like, okay, I tell everybody, I got an empty calendar, whatever you want to do, inevitably, Project one will come in and I'm like, oh, that's great. Project two will stack right on top of it. And I've had a week of that. So um, Cisco Systems, which everybody should know, is, you know, big. Um, they have moved their company. thing. Yeah, they're tech. And they moved into software. They, they, you know, everybody was scrambling back in the day. And they decided software was where they were going. So they are software. Um, and they do these great training programs for their staff uh, to basically to um, encourage empathy at work. And so I got an email maybe a week, week and a half ago saying that one of these trainings was coming up. They bring actors into role play. And I said, oh, yeah, I'd like to do that. Well, I'm not I, I, I'm millennial. Hell, I'm, I'm not in, you know, what, what would you call it before that? I'm, I'm in that centennial. X. I'm, a, I'm yeah, one of those. X. I think you're an Xer. No, yeah. I'm not an Xer. Hell no. Boomer? I am a boomer. You're a boomer? Okay. I am a serious boomer. But um, I didn't know. I didn't jump on it. So I get back to her and then I get an email saying, you know, they only want this many people. You were the last person to clock in. So we're not using you. And I very politely, I'm learning this stuff about career. I very politely went, oh, okay, yeah, I I guess. Let me know if there's another one coming up, and I promise I will keep an eye out for the email. Next day, another email. Oh, they're actually adding a day. Can you do that? Bam. Come on. Right on. Hey. So nice. It pays great, and you do this role play with people. So it's two phases. The first phase is we give them a prompt, like they have to say the line, you are not making your deliverables. I don't even know what that language means, but 
I am told that the reason I'm not doing it is because I have a lot of personal stuff going on. This crazy move to remote is fucking with me. What I do not do is apologize. Mm -hmm. Character two is a new new employee, totally apologetic. So you get bro you go into these breakout rooms with them, with the employees, the actual Cisco folk, and so the first person I role play that first scenario with. The second person, I'm just, I'm totally apologetic. I'm, so, I, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm doing what I can to try and figure this out. It's just a lot, and I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Really wonderful. Second phase, you come back to these people, no prompt. So the first phase, they have asked for the meeting, and you hit them with your whatever. The second phase, you have asked for the meeting, and all they know is that you've asked for a meeting, and you come in to say, "I'm sorry, I'm falling behind on the project." My mom went in the hospital. She might have COVID. You know, what do you do about that? And then the other one was they want to bring in race. Thank God that we are in this time period where there's this whole commitment on the corporate level to deal with issues of equity, diversity, whatever you want to call it. And so they said in this very vague way, that character has an issue about race. <laughs> That's a polite way of saying it. <laughs> and I said to my trainer, what do you mean specifically? And she said, well, I'm an Australian white woman. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's giving you carte blanche to go for it. <laughs> so I used an example of something that actually happened to me. I model. That's one of my many jobs. I do modeling for art classes. And there's a big issue around this whole thing going on in the, in the guild right now. And this old white guy is pissed. He's being discriminated against. <clears throat> and he's angry. So while we're on a Zoom meeting, I am actually texting him because I see how pissed he is, trying to calm him down. So afterwards, we end up talking. He says, well, you know, Norman, I mean, you're a good model. So I hire you because you're a good model. It's not because you're black. I don't even think of you as black. Uh <laughs> yeah, and I was like, uh, okay. Wow. So I just heard two things. One, it's like a back you end want to hire comment. me, and two, yeah. you're racist. Yeah, I was gonna let me bring uh, Sharon in. Have you done? I mean, these are almost getting back to because we're always interested in actors who do jobs that are not in the mm -hmm. theater, that are not, you know, let's say in theater or like, or I, I consider these are almost like industrials, like, you know, like there are times where I've done jobs for corporations or whatever. Have you done anything like that at all? Yeah, well, it's interesting. As Norman was describing this job, it really reminded me of the standardized patient type work. Yeah, oh, we've I done do that, that before. Too? Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I actually was in the process of being hired and then COVID, the shutdown happened. So I, I couldn't. Uh, yeah, I we'll see. Maybe they, they I think there's some word of like, you know, because kids are still in uh, graduate programs studying right. doctors and there might be some kind of virtual version of, of SP work. They are um, totally doing it. And if you want, I will great. give you a link. They are looking for a trainer, somebody who knows theater to help train people for this. If you're oh. looking for work. Oh, interesting. I don't know yeah. if I could be the trainer. But yeah, I, yeah, yeah. But definitely. Oh, I'm sure yeah. you could. I'm sure you could. <laughs> you, could. you totally could. And now we're on the air. Now we're going to get a bunch of uh, emails and folks from Facebook saying, ooh, let me, you know, so we have to post this. <laughs> I <on>. hope so. <laughs> sure. Well, go ahead, Sharon. Yeah. Well, yeah, just other than that, like sort of the one-off gigs, I also do commercial acting 
And that is pretty much like predominantly for tech companies. Um, and I, I do have an agent that's based in SF Bay Area. Who do you um, have? Who do you have? I'm with stars. I'm signed. Yeah. Wow. Are you, you. <laughs> are you signed? You. <laughs> Thank you. Of course. Yes, stars is like the biggest in SF. Right. Yeah, I know. They've been around for a while and they're, they're really on it. And, uh, it's, it's nice because just like one of the interesting blessings that happened with shelter in place is that it's so much more flexible, this kind of work. Whereas before it was honestly a little tricky to balance all of my different gigs with theater and rehearsing and shows and- Because you have you to know. move around. You have to actually travel and get in the car and stuff, right? Right, exactly. And like half of the time you're just sitting at a computer and rescheduling things and negotiating right. with different people. So now that, yeah, uh, we're at home and there's a, a I don't know, there's just like more, I feel like compassion from the commercial industry to be like, okay, I want to know where, like how you feel with even showing up in person to do an audition or do right. a, a commercial. And now auditions are entirely on Zoom anyways, yep. which I hope, I have a feeling they're not going to go back after, you know, things get quote unquote Largely, largely they are not going to go back. You're right. Yeah. And actually, I mean, I, I sort of I, I do like the comfort of not having to travel, but also something that we've talked about on the gay beforehand in past episodes where you sort of like being in front of someone to actually have the interaction with whoever you're doing the audition for. Totally. Gauge something or at least, you know, let's say there's a back and forth as if they're an audience member. So I don't know, you know, whether it's good or bad. Maybe we can have some yeah. actors ask us, you know, um, or let us know. Do you prefer doing Zoom? I had to do a Zoom audition. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you got this on uh, Facebook, Norman. Someone uh, there was a company, um, Military VA Loans, was mm. looking for an African-American middle aged actor to play a veteran. And actually, you could have you could have done it. But um Shit. <clears throat> well, yeah, I mean, it, it was on Facebook, so I, I applied for it, and I did my little Zoom, and I had to post a little, uh, you know, they gave, gave me a little script, and I, uh, so I'm waiting to hear back from them, so I'm crossing my fingers. We'll see. Yeah. But uh, I don't know, you know, the, uh, if it's easier or better. I mean, what do you think, Sharon? Do you prefer doing auditions in front of someone, or do you prefer the Zoom? Mm, yeah, there's, I guess there's so many different ways to look at it. I've done so many self tapes at this point where I, I've learned, I think I've passed the learning curve, but at first in the beginning where I was sort of just like new to, um, to how to like capture the best take of myself in a self tape audition where I spent like honestly like and like hours too many <laughs> working on filming and refilming and refilming the perfect audition which you don't get that you know if you're just yeah. in person whatever i have what i showed up with in the room is what is is received and i think that's like what theater you know that's what it is and now that we can we're like going into this other world of of like almost like film um, and, and, you know, the, the experience I have with doing like commercials as well, where it's like, you can just keep going and doing as many takes as possible, 20 takes. And then, but it doesn't work very well, you know, because it's like in the end, 
I would go back and watch and edit things or not edit, but like just rewatch all the takes. And usually the first take was the best one anyways. So yeah, it's, I don't know. It's just like, it's another, it's an entire new ball game. I feel like learning how to audition um, with what the self tape thing. And then there's also just zoom auditions. I, if, Auditions in general weren't anticlimactic enough. Zoom is like another level because you just go on and like enter this waiting room thing and then have like two minutes to do something and then you just leave. And uh, and sometimes I just never hear back or sometimes I do, but it's many weeks later. And I mean, I guess in that regard, it's pretty similar to what it used to be. Auditions have always just been that kind of, uh, you know, like it's a very quick one and done thing. And then you're like stuck in a limbo <laughs> world until you hear back or you don't. But um, I don't know. I could just talk about yeah. it forever. It's a very <laughs> weird experience. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, but I mean, as an as us well, actors, <clears throat> go ahead. Go ahead, Norman. No, it's, it's gonna... always, no, it's always frustrating. So you're right. We are... And we are going to move the culture. Our theater culture is going to move towards screen. Mm -hmm. um, we have no choice. That's what we're going to do. And we will not go back largely. But it does mean that for those people who like theater, who like being in a live stage environment, it's going to be a totally different animal. You are not going to get through. It's going to be one more gate that keeps you out. If you can't, if you don't have a good setup or whatever to mm. present yourself well, and this is true in not just this medium, but in auditions in general, I, I there's an actress that I know. I actually hired this actress because I saw her on stage and I thought she was fabulous. And then I started working with her and she was a little green, a little rough. And then a few years later, I was at a TBA general audition and saw her come on and do one of the best auditions of the day. It was amazing. And I was like, wow, she really grew. So she let me know that she was in a show a few months after that. And I went to see that show. I went all the way up to Vallejo. I commuted to go see this show. The show was not that good. Unfortunately, she was nowhere near the best thing in the show. She was, all of her bad habits that I knew were in evidence. And what I realized is she paid a coach who made her do an audition piece the way he would do an audition piece. He, exactly. I mean, you really could have just popped her out, popped him in, and that was the audition piece you saw. So she basically mimicked his audition piece and started to get a bunch of work off of it, but very quickly, everybody who called her in, she dropped off the list. She didn't have the skills. And this is what I hate, because I do the same thing. If I have to do an, you know, an online audition, I'm not gonna throw in the bad take. I'm not. I'm going to throw in the best take I have. Mm -hmm. And if I get the job and I'm not really that good, I just got lucky, then they're very quickly going to decide they're never going to work with me again or they're just, they're going to fire me. I, I've seen that happen. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's no different between stage and between this medium. But if you do learn the skills of working on camera, which is force, this is forcing you to do, it's going to take you away from the stage. Mm -hmm. It just is. 
Yeah, I think the the greatest currency of any good actor is the flexibility, the flexibility to deal with whatever, you know, like we deal with it on stage all the time. You know, there's, let's say something, there's a reaction or something happens on the stage that you didn't expect. And so you have to be spontaneous enough to deal with it. And there's a spontaneous spontaneity with Zoom. It's like, oh my God, I've got to act in front of my computer camera and I've got to look at a script that may be here or here, or if you're lucky enough, you have the, uh, what the teleprompter thing on your, uh, and, and you don't have the luxury of, you know, interacting with uh, your, your um, scene partner or whatever, but it's another skill. It's yet another skill set that you learn. And if you learn it well, then your name will come across. I mean, I don't know how long we'll be doing the Zoom thing, but, you know, other people will say, wow, he did a real Zoom, you know, good Zoom uh, performance and mm -hmm. I want to see him again. And all of a sudden you can add that onto you know, your other skill sets, as well as like, you know, the take with the camera and getting the best take and all of that sort of stuff, as well as, you know, doing it on, on, um, you know, doing a live uh, audition. Um, there, there are a couple of, a couple of current events that we, you know, we usually talk about. I, I have the feeling that as Trump's era ends, we'll stop talking about Trump and we can actually talk about, you know, <laughs> we can actually stop ranting about Trump. But in any case, uh, I'm worried about, okay, so, Late last night, FDA has approved the Pfizer vaccine, but, you know, it was after Trump threatened the head of, um, of, of um, FDA. Basically, if you don't approve it, then you're fired. So I don't know how to feel about this. You know, is it good? And, you know, we have a vaccine coming. And of course, the first rounds will actually go to the people who really, really need it. You know, the first responders and the and the people who are on the front line. But I'd feel much better if it were approved by the CDC or who the World Health well, but, Organization. But it's not just the FDA. Everybody, <clears throat> everybody in the industry has been saying yes to this. So, yeah. OK, so I, I guess I feel more confident. Do there, you yeah. No, go ahead. How, are you, how are you feeling as you watch all this craziness? Yeah, Sharon, how do you feel? Oh, my God. It's just I just feel like it's a monstrosity what this country has been doing. We yeah, we're like we are so screwed and and it's a it's a terrible situation that's like just continuing yeah like it, it is the most worst kind of drama like live I don't know. It's like an interesting and abominable situation that I'm watching. I feel like the with the vaccines too. I was like talking about it with my partner earlier this morning that you know Brit uh, England just got approved. They got like some yeah hundred. I don't know how many different vaccines or how many vaccines were released, um, but this was like something that the trump administration had promised was like the one thing they were banking on yep. doing right was like right. all this talk about the vaccines mm -hmm. and, they and, and, and purchasing and purchasing enough purchasing enough at least for in america yeah yeah uh, i'll let i'll let you go ahead sharon yeah no it's true and they like with the the i don't know the strange like negotiations that they had with like bidding all these different pharmaceutical industries against each other to see who could make the best vaccine or make it the quickest. Somehow, I think that that got, um, that just sort of like muddied the process and um, and actually did not allow us to get the Pfizer vaccines 
uh, as quickly as we could have. Is that true? There's like there was some. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You know, the so-called man of the art of the deal. You know, he even wrote a book about it. He was supposed to uh, negotiate a deal where he was supposed to get more, or the United States would get the most vaccines. And earlier, but he somehow botched it. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how he botched it, but I'm sure it was this wonderful personality. And so now. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that we're taking the time, you know, it, I don't care, you know, if we get it sooner or later, I just want to get it the, you know, get the right vaccine and make yeah. sure that it goes through all of the testing processes. Um, but we need as much as absolutely possible. I mean, you know, on, I saw on the route, there are a couple of actors who, who have died because of COVID-19. Uh, there was a guy who was a star on Friday and also The Dark Knight. Um, oh. Tommy Lister, he's known as Tiny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, he 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 was actually in the middle of a shoot and he had breathing problems and he died. And that's you know, that's a consequence of COVID-19. Also, a woman, Carol Sutton, she was an actress in Steel Magnolias and Queen Sugar, dead of COVID-19. So, I mean, these are the bodies and these are people that we know. Mm -hmm. So it's 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 really, really horrible. I mean, I'm glad that a solution's on the way, but my goodness, the price. Well, we're getting really to watch high. England. England is being our guinea pig. We're getting to see how well, because they already are having trouble. And did you hear about Australia? Oh, man, they had 50 something million. They had paid money for these for this vaccine. And in the testing, there were some false positives, HIV, false positives. <laughs> and what I love about it is this is a neat concept. To, to explain what they were doing. They created something that they called um, molecular Legos. They created a structure that the body interpreted and built onto the antibodies. So mm -hmm. that was telling the body to make these antibodies without you know anything else. Um, but they knew that there was a possibility that the body would misinterpret it as HIV and create HIV antibodies. So the people who tested positive, and that's why they call it a false positive, those people they've tested, they do not have HIV. There's no danger of getting HIV. It's just that the thing that they were using to create this response in the body reads as HIV. Some hmm. tests, not many. It was a really small percentage, but it was enough that they the whole this was their big plan for vaccine they just scrapped it that happened wow. this week wow yeah um have you been affected sharon i mean have you had any relatives or friends or whatever who have had COVID 19 i mean how how's it directly affected you hopefully not not so much i've been so blessed actually to not know anyone in my direct family and circle of friends that has been affected but i do know friends of friends um, or like friends of my family members who have. Um, and yeah, I mean, like some of these stories were just really shocking uh, and heartbreaking as well. Like people I think are still navigating how to, first of all, like uh, manage if they have symptoms, how to get tested, you know, soon enough. Um, and then inform everybody in their circles and like subsequent circles about their having symptoms so that it doesn't spread. So I've, I've heard several stories of just like, you know, friends of friends who had family members basically um, ended up, you know, 
convening and hanging out and and gathering for the holidays um, and just didn't actually inform everybody that they had a dad that had COVID Mm -hmm. that that, that just tested positive. And so now the rest of the family got it. So it's, yeah, I mean, it's a really, it's just tragic. And I, I think it's hard. Yeah. It's, it's like a hard thing. I don't want to exactly like get like place the blame on any one person, because I think it is still a really hard thing to navigate. Um, But people have to be honest with, with each other. I mean, you know, if I have a cough and let's say if I have some symptoms, I have a duty you know, even if I yeah. feel embarrassed, I have to tell, let's say I have to tell my boss, I have to tell, you know, people. Wait a minute, you have office. a cough? What? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's the problem. We get into that old rumor mill. And yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's really, really horrible. Also, I wanted to, um, Rebecca Jones, I'm sure you know about her. Uh, have you heard about her? This is a woman who is a, um, she's a COVID data collector in Florida. And there was a house raid. There was FBI. I think it was the FBI who raided her uh, oh, house. Yes. This, this is the Florida, woman so, yes. in Florida. So Governor Ron DeSanto basically says, hey, everything's everything. Everything's OK. We've got COVID under control. And this one was like, absolutely not. That is not true. I'm one of the data collectors. I'm one of the people who po- posted the, the statistics uh, for what's right. happening in COVID in Florida. These are the real numbers. And as a, it looks like retaliation. Oh, they, ra- they raided her house. They arrested her. They harassed her and her family. In the video, it's one, one pointed a gun at the uh, at her son. I don't, did you hear about this, Sharon? No, I did not. Yeah. It's it's oh really crazy, and that's the politic the politicization. Is that the word of it? Um, it's it's politicizing a serious situation. I mean, you know, we don't need we don't need information that we want to hear. We need information we need to hear. So there's no reason Ron DeSantos should shut up a data collector who's giving us real, giving the people of Florida real numbers. It's, it's horrible. It's crazy. It's like, what is motivating that? It's just a complete, like either fear or just like there's half of this country or more that just does not believe COVID exists. I don't think more, threatened. but a significant number. A significant enough, yeah. That's yeah. the thing. It's so close to half that you're like, okay. So if they're 72 million and we're 81 million, uh-huh. that's a little uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. Um, one last thing. I mean, I you know to take the things away. I tried to you know put in something a little bit lighter. So Olivia Jade, you know who Olivia Jade is, right? No. This is <laughs> this is the daughter of um Lori Lachlan this is the uh the influencer daughter of this uh, TV personality who tried to get her child into USC oh right and, and went to jail for it so Olivia Jade went on red table talk that's a new thing with Jada Pinkett Smith and I guess Jada wants to be the new oh, Oprah and yeah. she, this chick wants to uh this you know influencer teenage wants to spin the tale of how you know, her family is so sorry for what's going on. You know, she never does. She say it's my fault. I should have applied for school or whatever. You know, her mother's in jail right now. And she's still in, in, I don't know. It just, my, my temperature went, you know, <laughs> through the roof right. listening to this influencer talk about how it's everyone else's fault, but not hers, that her mother's in jail for getting her in school and she didn't deserve it. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. 
that's what that Cisco gig I was talking about. That's what I loved about those two characters. One character never apologizes. The other character, nothing but apologies. Mm-hmm. And I lament the uh, the death of David Dinkins. David Dinkins was the mayor of New York. He was the first black mayor of New York. Right. And I remember when I went to school at NYU, he was the mayor of New York at the time. And of course, he got a lot of flack for being black. And, um, you know, they tried to target him for no, spending no, no, too much money. No, 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 just for being black. That's really what it was. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the flack that Obama, you know, received for, I don't know, being uppity or being too, you know, wh- you know whatever. Um David Dinkins got that, you know, in the 90s. And it was really, I mean, he had to endure so much. I mean, there was Tawana Brawley. There was um, uh, Bernard Getz. There was the Central Park Five. Um, All sorts of crazy things going on that if, you know, if it happened in the day of social media right now, you know, it would be on camera immediately. This was all before Rudy Giuliani cleared everything up. So it was just an idyllic time. Um, I don't know, before... New York became Disneyified. Have you ever visited New York, uh, Sharon? I've been there. Um, was it like a couple years ago? I went during like Labor Day weekend or something, and it was actually surprisingly the most empty that the trains had ever been. Like I, I think it's like a special like weekend of time where everybody leaves the city. So that's when I got to visit, and oh. I was there for four days. I saw. Um, Gosh, it's a Paula Vogel play, um, and uh, the uh, the one that oh god, indecent. Oh, it. It, yeah, indecent, I believe, and it was a beautiful, beautiful play um, about sort of like a Yiddish and Jewish um, family or a team that does like they make theater during the uh, their Nazi encampments. And um, anyways, it's just it was gorgeously done and you could see the different layers of um, like perspective and language being played out. And how was it, was it Broadway or off Broadway? It was Broadway. OK, I don't remember what theater I saw it. But yeah, so I went to see a play and uh, went to a lot of lines to get ramen. We found, we tried to get like, well, stop by like three different ramen restaurants. Oh, nice. What what year was this? I'm just curious. Um, I believe this was, oh my God, I don't even know time, like 2018 maybe, so pretty recent. Oh, two years, two years ago. Yeah. Yeah, if you can imagine, I mean, and I will get into an origin story in just a few minutes, but if you can imagine a New York, if you had to walk down 42nd Street and Broadway, and instead of it being, you know, just lined up and being nice and clean, of course, crowded, but, you know, let's say the Disney characters that you see now, instead, you'd see porno shops it would be i mean it would be something that you'd see out of um like taxi driver you know that movie or you know that's that's sort of how it was just before uh, giuliani cleaned everything up and um it's a very dramatic before and after and i remember that time and of course it's totally gone now and um it's fascinating new york is very very fascinating and um i went once mm -hmm. um Friends, the first time I went, friends took me. I was visiting friends in Pennsylvania. I was heading, making my trip across the country to get back home to California. And they said, let's go to New York for a day. And we did. Wonderful. But we're walking down, you know, 42nd Street. 
and there's a dude on the sidewalk, blanket down, selling CDs. And before we even know what's going on, he swoops that blanket up and disappears. And in less than 20 seconds, a cop car rolls up. And he's like, yeah. we were just like, oh, oh, okay. We just experienced New York. <laughs> yeah. And also the three-card money, guys. I remember my second year. I got ripped off of 300 bucks. It's my fault, basically. Uh, I, you know, put 20 down. You know, the three card money guys. Oh, like, yeah, you know. I know. I saw them. <laughs> How about you, Sharon? Trip. I ended up in Boston and I watched it. Yeah. You know, red will, red will, red will put you ahead and black will put you back and you put $20. Oh, to see yes, what, yes, yes. Where, well, you know, what the, I think the black card is. And uh, I lost my rent money just like that. And it forced me to get my very first theater job ever, which was stage managing. Uh, there was a, a off, off Broadway production of Alice in Wonderland. And that was in wow. 1988. And that was the first ever job. And that was, you know, a lifetime which ago. Version? Which version? Well, they it was a very experimental version. I don't know. I mean, it was such a long time ago. I don't even know who wrote it, but uh, it um, was very... Andre Gregory wrote a very famous one, a small mm -hmm. cast of people, and they got nothing, and then they explode and become the whole story. Yeah, maybe, maybe that was it. It was a group called the Allen Theater Company. I think it was a group of... Um, alumni of NYU who uh, did it, but basically that was, you know, a job that I had. It was very ETW, very experimental theater. But in any case, yeah, that was the very, very first theater job that I had, but that was eons ago. Yeah. And, and with that, let's talk to uh, you, Sharon Shaw. Um, let's have an origin story. How did you, uh, where did you, where were you born and raised and how did the theater bug bite you? Ooh, sure. Uh, born and raised in the Bay, actually, in Fremont. Um, to, and I'm first generation Chinese American and uh, my parents immigrated from Taiwan um, and settled, well, it, it's a long story, but the, they eventually settled in, in uh, California and worked just very, you know, my dad's a singing teacher, he still sing, teaches uh, singing and voice. Wow, and, that's uh, cool. Yeah. Wait, so singing... He has done English, singing Chinese, singing both opera. Both. Yeah, both. So actually, he, my dad was um, when he was in Taiwan, he and his buddy sort of like were a big deal in the 70s. And they created they were like a Simon and Garfunkel inspired. Oh, like, wow. Nice. You know? when sure. that hadn't really reached the country yet. So people were like going crazy over that. And um, so he, you know, got to um, eventually go on tours to different countries and sing. And so he was just like a professional singer and performer um, and still does, um, but is just a bit more low key now and um, is a very just like sweet, highly regarded teacher among the Chinese American uh, Chinese community um, in the Bay. So I would say I started just like I got bit by the music and performance bug from him for sure. Um, I think the first time I sang it was like trying to copy him like I was singing Phantom of the Opera <laughs> like while he was singing like in the shower at home and I wanted to be the phantom with him oh how nice any siblings do you have siblings no only child wow yeah and so and then my mom worked uh, for the state and she 
you know, classic sort of more or not classic. We had a very um, I don't know. We were we were our own little insular family. But the the idea of, um, you know, pursuing the arts and liberal arts in college was still not seen as a viable option within my family structure. So I've always done community theater and like high school theater and um, and musicals as a kid. Um, but I guess it I, I don't know, at, at some point towards the end of high school that I was applying for colleges, I, I decided that I really wanted to actually study this, um, this as a craft more. And um, that was something that did not totally please my mom, um, who was- No. No. Yeah, she was like, but you should also double major in like something, even econ, like just to give yourself some other, avenues to pursue and I just didn't want to yeah I didn't I didn't want that and so I went to UC Santa Cruz and uh I did the theater um uh program there in my undergraduate did, did your dad support you and he did I mean he was always more like radical and progressive just naturally because he he sort of strayed away from the pack um, and and did something more liberal in um, in the performance arts. So, you know, but like very, we were all we just had a very modest kind of um, life at home. And um, my mom was, I guess, wanted. I mean, it's just that's like classic, you know, first generation children of immigrants story where I had a lot of pressure to um, to make something more of of me and and fall into something that was a bit more secure. Um, and it wasn't like anything as crazy as being a lawyer or a doctor, but just something that had a bit more lucrativeness to it. And um, I still am. am <laughs> figuring out exactly, I mean, aren't we all like in the theater just trying to figure out where exactly to fit our passion with um, with the other, I don't know, pillars of like adulthood and success. And so success <laughs> was a big part. Yeah. Good way to put it. But, yeah. I, but, I would, but I would think that your mom, I mean, you know, you're getting work. I mean, you know, you already have an agent, yeah. you know, you, you have, you're signed with stars and you're getting, you know, you're in commercials and all that stuff. So I would think that your mom would say, hey, wow, she's actually making money off of this. So yeah. she should, I, th I would think that your parents would be proud of what you're doing right now. Thank you. And I, I totally want to, um, yeah, make that clear as well. My parents were um, and are still super proud um, and saw, well, my mom passed away a couple years ago. Oh, I'm sorry so, to hear that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, she had a long, long term battle with cancer. Um, but towards the end, I mean, certainly she um, sort of you know, I think having a child in America um, changed a lot of who she was and her core understanding of parenthood, too. I mean, there's just like a lot of um, memories that I have of of her saying pretty blatantly, like, you are like an alien to me. I don't understand you. You know, I don't understand all these different ideals that you have. And, um, you know, the dreams that you have are so different from mine. And uh, I don't know what to do with that. 
And I think that in some times it certainly challenged our relationship and there was a, a, a huge kind of like language and cultural barrier um, there. But at the same time, it also paved a new way for our our dynamic. Um, and it was a very unique one. And um, I also, I think, you know, being however, like whatever my ego <laughs> brought into our family, I stuck to my passions and my, um, my ideas of, of success. And because I sort of fought back on that older cultural, you know, um, value system, um, it, it, it happened, you know, and because we do, we did have share so much love. Um, she, she, she eventually came around and was very proud and saw every show that I did. And oh, that's wonderful. That's really yeah. wonderful. Yeah. You know, I, I, as you were talking, I have another podcast called I'm an American too, where I interview individuals who are not born in America to get their perspective of American life. And what you're saying is it's a constant theme, uh, especially among first generation children who absorb American life, you know, as children, when you are a child, you absorb everything that you see on television and, and, you know, just the cultural things that, you know, let's say someone from another country may not because they hold on to their culture. And there may be even fears of assimilation. It's like, oh, my God, mm -hmm. she's going to lose what it means to be Taiwanese or, right. you know, from our own culture. But there's always this, um, this, the, the road between keeping the bond of your family, but also keeping your individuality has always been a, um, a, a delicate road. But as long as two people care about each other, I'm glad that yeah. before she died that, you know, the two of you sort of, you know, found the not necessarily closure, but a better understanding. Um, I, love, I love that story because to me, it is so connected to a lot of the American experience. You have so many parents who want better for their children. So they do everything they can to try and deal with the negatives and keep their children safe from that and encourage you moving on. And of course, mm -hmm. it makes sense that people in that position will then go, wait a minute, what are you doing? I don't understand it. And it's like, well, of course you don't. You, you made a space for me to move up. Yes, totally. Yeah, and there, it's, a, it's a generational kind of... Um, stepping stone too. They we could only be where we are now, and to continue to push that barrier because of the work that they did, and because of the yeah, just like the tough um, assimilating, I suppose that they 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 needed to do in order to protect themselves. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes assimilation is a bad word because it's it's like you're removing yourself from your culture. You can sort of yeah. blend. You can sort of be an individual and blend, you know, let's say whatever the new culture or whatever new you're taking in and still hold on to your, you know, your core culture. You know, no one can take away the Taiwanese in you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you talk to us about uh, what kind of what kind of uh, studies did you get when you studied at UC Santa Cruz? Um. All kinds of stuff. I mean, I think that so, I, you know, I there was an undergraduate program, so it was more of like a like a mash of introductions to a lot of different kinds of methodologies. Um, one that really stuck with me was um, acting and 
voice in the archetypal kind of um, work. So going into different archetypes and and exploring like the different journeys of them and using gradients of that in every character. So just like classic archetypes like the lover or the mother or Lucifer or the child. And so we did a lot of, um, I remember that was like one of my favorite courses where we, um, you know, took apart Shakespearean text as well as modern text and tried to find okay what essences um, of archetypes, which is like a whole, you know, it's an essence as opposed to like a stereotype, you know, to kind of um, unlock some some understanding or like human relational um, connection to the character. So that was something I really, yeah, have I, it's on my mind because I just recently applied that to um, a, a show that I performed last night, in fact. But yeah, and then there was like all kinds of other- um, Wait a minute, what did you perform last night? <laughs> I did uh, Desdemona by Toni Morrison. Oh, wow. It was, a, I mean, oh my God, such a gorgeous piece of text, but it was for Davis Shakespeare. Um, yeah. Kind of like a, I believe it's a, an internship program actually. So there's these college students that are um, working in within the fe larger festival. And it's all of course happening on virtual. And so we did just one week, a tight week of rehearsing um, for a two nights of live reading um, performance. Um, so, and it's th through it, the StreamYard platform. So it's like a live, you can watch it on a YouTube. Mm -hmm. Oh, is it on YouTube now? Cause I'd love to see it. I don't know, is it, is it still on now? It is happening on Sunday, actually, tomorrow at 2 p.m. And I can send out the link to you. Please do, please do. We'll, we'll totally um, link, you know, yeah. put a link in. Awesome, great, thanks. Yeah, it's cool. And there's a it's actually um, a musical as well. So these kids, these students, I mean, wonderful, um, like music composers um, wrote original music. This uh, the, the the guy who composed it in less than two weeks, I believe. And so it's all been a very I think it's a, as well. They mentioned it being like a learning curve, how to adapt this entire festival onto virtual. Mm -hmm. So things have been taking longer and, you know, the whole process of developing the play or coming up with the cast. And mm -hmm. that's so, been... so it sounds like um, the it, someone took the text of Toni Morrison's Desdemona and made it into a musical. Is that what it is? Um, so Toni Morrison wrote this as a response to Othello and the just um, the, the lack of character that was given to the female, you know, the tragic. Yeah, the poor woman that, you know, gets suffocated. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that um, it was a conversation she had with another director, I think, in New York or something at the time. And this other guy said, you know, it's a horrible like Desdemona is a horrible character, or this is like a horrible play because it's so anti-feminist. And she said, oh, nothing could be more false. And let me show you exactly what wasn't said. And so this entire play is Desdemona's kind of moment to, um, to speak and to have voice. And um, she empowers her story. And she's in this sort of limbic, like limbo state where she's after being killed an undead and um, encounters Othello and Amelia 
and um, Saran, and, you know, so all the other characters from Othello, and they're sort of making sense of what the systems were in Earth life that led them to their tragic end. Wow, I, that's that's amazing. Yeah, I, I totally, I, I could totally dig that. It's yeah. as strange I hadn't heard about uh, this piece before. Had you heard about this piece before, Norman? No, no, I'm not. I I know very little about Toni Morrison. I've read a couple of books, and that's about it. Well, maybe three. Yeah, maybe yeah. more. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, I know some of the uh, her the the movies that have been you know interpreted right. from her writings. But wow, no, that's fantastic. I was going to ask, have you did you study like the basics like Stanislavski and uh, I don't know um, beats and objectives and that sort of stuff sure. when you were in school. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and that still remains very strong. I would say like while I was in school and also in every kind of actual production I've worked on, every director brings a bit of um, just like playing the action and finding your super objectives. And um, yeah, so I feel like I have sort of at this point in my career, it's like a, a, a broader belt of different um uh, of methodologies or tools to use. And I'm at a point where I'm wondering, you know, if I want to continue in this, do I want to go back to school? Do I want to um, study a bit more like in depth into something? Like I, we'd only touch like barely on Meisner when I was in college. And that's something that is fascinating to me. So um, other than that, I just, you know, I've been reading a lot of their books and um, like I have like been reading a Meisner book, but it's not the same as actually practicing it. So, you know, just some questions, of course, while yeah. we're in this state of like nothing. Wait a minute, you've gotten some Meisner or you just are familiar with the concept? I'm familiar with the concept because I've I've read um, and like I've read his I'm like in the process of reading his book. And like it breaks it down into exactly class by class how he teaches or how he taught. Mm -hmm. And I also live with other actors who have taken, uh, who have gone to Meisner School. So ah. a lot of conversations and um, and I've done like a couple of exercises again. I wouldn't say that I'm like trained by any means ah. in Meisner though. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting. We've had this conversation where if you're working, I mean, you know, you know, there are some actors who have never had any training at all. And, you know, you can make an argument they don't even need it because they're still working. They, you know, they're getting paid and whatever. But you do have some actors who are like, you know, there's some roles I want to do and I don't know how to approach them. So maybe I do need mm -hmm. to go back to school. So there's always been this discussion that we've had over several episodes, whether to go back to school, how much school do you need? Is school necessary? There have been individuals who have had horrible experiences in the school. Um, so it's it's fascinating to see here, you know, some just a, I guess an actor's perspective as to, you know, do I go back? Do I not go back? And also money, you know, uh, if you, you know, do you spend all this money to learn something that you may already learn just by reading what you're doing right now and just experiencing it. You, you know, your next production may be with a director who has had some Meisner training and you may get that training on the field. Yeah, right. Money is also such a huge factor to it. Like I've pretty much vowed to myself, I don't want to put any more school debt <laughs> on, uh, on myself. So if I were to go to school, it would have to be something that felt really right for me. Um, and 
yeah, I've, I'm curious about also like leaving the country to go study somewhere else where education is free or like applying to schools that have um, uh, like essentially like free programs or that you can um, do work for, right? To like Right, get paid for actually. Yeah, yeah no, I, I promised myself, I was at San Francisco State and I promised myself when I got out, I was not paying for anything else. And I managed to go at least a couple of decades <laughs> without yeah. having to because um, yeah. I, I we all want training we all want to be exposed to that but when you get in the field it's a different animal and you need to be respected for that yeah and also i would just say as someone who's been on both sides you know like i went to school for acting but then i spent several years just not and not involved in theater at all uh, i got involved with i i have something i have just like you, Sharon, my dad was involved in music. As a matter of fact, there's a picture of him on the wall there. But uh, he, I used to write for him, and he was an R&B uh, writer, R&B singer, and now he does gospel. But I was just, I was just involved in that for really all of the '90s until my day job sent me to the Bay Area. And now, you know, I, I work for the DA's office, and then I discovered, oh wow, there's theater here. But having almost a decade of not doing anything at all, I had so much life experiences that I could bring on the stage that I couldn't bring prior to that. And, you know, combined with, you know, the technique, I, I, I really do believe in technique. I think that, you know, like every, every, you know, every half hour before I go onto the stage, I do my vocal exercises and I do, you know, breathing exercises and I focus on, you know, I go back on the script and, you know, and, fo and focus on the beats of certain things that I need to to do. So there's certain things I bring from the school, but there's certain things that I bring from my regular life. You know, there are roles that I can do now that I could not do just coming out of school. So there's a yin and yang, <clears throat> excuse me, between the both Yeah, um, that I find fascinating. Um, you've, you've been involved in a lot of, you've been involved with Cutting Ball. Uh, you, you work with Playground. Uh, it sounds like immediately after coming out of school, you've sort of hit, you know, you've sort of hit your stride. I mean, was it, was there any lull time or did you sort of get work immediately? Uh, I pretty much tried to just hit the ground running. I think right out of college, the first job I got was um, at a, as a, a box office um, sales associate at Marin Theater Company. And oh. so I was like, even if I'm not like actually getting roles right away, I at least want to be in the theater and working among, you know, other theater makers. Sure. So that was sort of my strategy. And then the and then I started doing I started teaching artist work. Um, yeah. And that has stuck. Yeah. So I think another part of the whatever, you know, life experience is getting to teach theater to I, I teach much younger people, but it's yeah. an incredible learning experience um, and real time feedback for sure. Oh, yeah. Were you, you weren't at Marin during the Thomas and Sally mess, were you? Ooh, no, I left before that. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, have, we have talked at nauseam about that. And I think you're... they're, they're going to have to hear that for the <laughs> decade. They need to hear that how wrong that was <laughs> yeah and speaking of which that's uh because you know we've talked about race relations and especially thomas and sally deals with how let's say a director or a production group relates with its actors and, and also we can talk about eli or you know open letter but a lot of times when we talk about race it's usually black via white and we almost ignore 
let's say, Latino issues or Asian issues. Have yeah. you had to deal with race issues as, as an actor or as a creative? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. You have? Um, yeah, sure. I mean, something that is, well, one of the, the more recent projects I worked on that was an all Asian uh, cast in, a, in a, an Asian story, um, I had found out that it was just really hard to even get theaters to say yes to doing that show because there's this, you know, misconception that there are no Asian actors or Asian artists right. that would care or that would come out. And it's it's at a complete invisibilizing of of this huge community. Um, so there's, yeah, I mean- Can, it, you, can like, you say where or uh, you don't have to, but I'm just curious what or what the show was? Um, this show, so the show is called Man of God. Um, and I did a reading of it first with Magic Theater, which was cool. And the playwright actually was still developing the play. I think it was two years ago. And Joyce uh, Joyce Ha? She was there. Yeah, she was. Right on. She was a guest. She's been a guest on here. I she's, know. She's amazing. I, I, I heard that episode. Yeah, she's so cool. Um, and Natalia Duong. And um, and it was um, written by Anna Mensch. And Mina Marita actually directed this reading. And that was one of the first, surprisingly, yeah, kind of one of the first experiences of just being in a room with Asian American people, like only, and just, and, and just being candid with each other. Like, yo, this is so hard to find here and like we also rock like we totally deserve to have our stories heard they're right. really really interesting and and it's about um sort of like korean four korean um high schoolers who are christian and on a mission trip and mm. um, with like right. All the shame that comes with that, and then it's it ends up being kind of like this thriller of a story, and so right. that was a, a great success. We performed it for the Magic Theater um, audience, which was primarily white and older, right. and just really um, in my mind, it was like I don't. I mean, I never really like attending talkbacks, but the questions and comments that people gave were really just off the mark I felt like like they 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 truly did not understand um the stories uh and the characters that it's unfortunate that you know you have an almost an Asian all Asian cast but you don't have an almost an all Asian audience it's mm -hmm. like you know, wow this is not the target audience mm -hmm. and obviously they don't get it I mean you know when we did luckily when we did Foreman in Paris Norman we did have, at least for a couple of nights, we did have an African-American audience, or at least almost maybe half of it, but, you know. It was such a joy, yes. <laughs> yeah, but there were times, and we did it in um, Hayward, um, which is, you know, a predominantly white, you know, audience. So that, you know, that can be uh, problematic. You know, we had Lily Chung Crystal on, I don't know if it was a year or two years ago, and she headed up for a ferocious lotus before yeah. she went to uh, Minnesota. And she sort of talked about that, you know, just having, you know, uh, telling your stories, you know, uh, something yeah. that you could, cause I'm sure Sharon in your short career, short but building career. I mean, I've been very impressed with, you know, the work that you've done, you know, already. Um, I'm sure there've been a lot of times where you've told other people's stories, but not your story. Um, right. Yeah. Does, does that frustrate you? 
Definitely. Yeah. Or I've been placed into roles that are, I guess, sort of assumed to be white characters and try to put, infuse my, um, just a bit more of my perspective. Right. Yeah. They hired you. (laughs) They hired me, but it was, it was not like received well or, um, didn't, wasn't handled with a lot of grace or just like, yeah, people who are honestly just kind of ignorant um, about what it means to truly like see the actor as well as the character, the person that is actually bringing that story out. Um, and of course, it's like that document, like white theater must go. Right. <laughs> right. It was called. It's like it, it really is such a um, it's like everywhere (laughs) every part of every part of doing theater is is um without is not without that personal like the personal is political kind of um involvement yeah it's it's uh, it's just hard (laughs) yeah have you gotten to work with um any of the uh theater companies that focus on on telling that asian american or asian story I have worked with people more so within companies. So the the actual company I I was mentioning before that had a hard time uh, choosing to actually produce Man of God. The first time I did it was with Magic Theater, but the second time was at Shotgun. And did um, uh, Michelle Telgaro directed that. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, my God. I love her. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, she's the best. And she's a company member with Shotgun. And, and it was actually, um, you know, I don't know if this is like information that it should be out here, but it was, you know, just truly uh, it, a challenge for her to advocate to do an Asian American play. Yeah. And it took a couple, I feel like several tries actually, um, mm-hmm. before that was decided. Um, and it, it actually took the audience members who came and watched a reading, um, a virtual reading during COVID. And they they emailed like, please, please, we actually are interested in doing this and we're watching this play that convinced Patrick um, to say yes. So (laughs) that was good. I mean, people do show up and and so that was sweet. But yeah, I've not worked with specific um, like Asian American groups or companies yet. I... I think that that's a huge part. That's that's a dream to like just keep building on that mm-hmm. um, because so far I've worked with white theater and right. um, and there's like a, a little, you know, just that like camaraderie of POC within every production that we sort of help to be like, okay, I see you and we're allies with each other, but it's yeah. always under that larger umbrella of, you know, but they don't, they but don't, they get don't. It. right. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. So I'm hopeful. I mean, because I know that there's so many great alliances that do exist in, in companies like Ferocious Lotus actually is awesome. Yeah. And I would love for a chance to work with them. One day you'll, you'll get there. <clears throat> I mean, I've been very it's impressed. I mean, producing, yeah. Yeah. No, I, you know, and the short time that I've worked with you, you know, it's funny. I, I'm going to tell the story. I always love these inside stories. So when we were casting for uh, the Breck project, 
uh, the very first time, and I had no control in the casting. That was um, a Susan Evans thing. The first casting, you know, she did not cast, you know, um, it wasn't multicultural uh, as far as especially judicial process. And I wrote to Susan, I was like, listen, I really want an Asian American, you know, person to be the prosecutor because I want it to be multi, you know, the very, very, very first reading that I did, which, which was away from uh, the Breck project, <clears throat> it was a black Judge Patton. And I did have an Asian, I don't know if you know Eko Yamamoto, but she um, had, did the prosecutor and I had a couple of other folks. But in any case, I was like, hey, listen, if you can find an Asian American who can grab, you know, the prosecutor and learn, you know, sort of the, the lingo of the, of the language, which I know can be difficult, that would be great. And <clears throat> so, and she, and she, you know, said, hey, there's, this, there's a uh, woman named Sharon Chow and I'm going to bring her on. And I was like, okay, so let's see. And, you know, you knocked it out of the park. You know, you were excellent. You were really, really good. Thank you. Um, yeah, it just, it was so fiery. <laughs> I had a lot of fun playing a prosecutor. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Have you thought about directing or doing another aspect of, um, of, of, I don't know if you want to write, produce or do other aspects of theater? Cool. Yeah. Um, I actually did have a stunt with directing with, uh, well, first of all, I direct kids all the time <laughs> and we do musical theater or we do all the, all kinds of, um, just like different short theater things. And that's, that's always fun, um, to put on the directing hat, but I, I have directed, um, at an Asian American play with the forum that Kira and Vecchia, uh, Julius Rea and, um, some other people they have, um, created. It's just like a, you know, uh, sort of like political theater or journalism as well as theater put together. And so I did, um, oh my gosh, this is not a true story is the name of the play. And it was uh, written by an Asian American uh, MFA student and is about actually like all the three um, sort of like gone down in history as being the sort of like, uh, damsel in distress asian american asian woman character that has to kill herself because her white lover has decided that she's not worthy of him and so we did like um we really dove into those tropes uh so that was really cool i got to direct nikki menez in it and um some other really wonderful actors and and it was uh again an, like an opportunity to have like more voice um, and status in a rehearsal process and say like, this is actually what we know about. And now there's no one else. And <laughs> it was like this absence of any other kind of force um, of whiteness, I guess, or of power to kind of like tell us what we needed to look and sound like or to focus on. Um, and, and we had so much fun. So that was a really great opportunity. I was very scared. I was anxious about just like playing director. And, and I think I learned a lot about it is just, you know, there's, it's not all about me, of course, there's so many other um, minds in the room. And all I have to do is to help, like facilitate and ask the right questions. Um, and, and yeah, so I was cool. I, I would love I, I've always been very fascinated by directing. Yeah. 
And um, then and I'm sorry. I, well, I know it's a one twelve. I just want to be respectful of people's time. I would love to keep going, but uh, do are are we scrunched for time? I I don't think I've got a particular crunch, but you know I think we've we've kind of encompassed the world. Yeah, yeah. I, I I did have two quick questions. Uh, Norman I had a question for you. I never asked you this. Were you nervous your very first directing gig? I mean, your very ah. first time directing. Yeah. <laughs> no. My very first time directing, I I had gone to CalArts for a year oh, and um, and then was not invited back for my second year, which really was depressing to me. But but I felt like I was on fire with all the knowledge that I had. And I'd come there from a community college. So I was like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do next, but I'm going to finish up my associate's degree. So I go back to the community college. Well, I've already had the theater classes there. So I walked in and I talked to the teacher and I said, can I teach? Can I be your assistant, your teaching assistant? And he said, well, why don't you just take the acting class? You can take it over. So the acting class was mine and I was technically his assistant on the advanced class, but I really kind of ran it. And I got to direct and I had no doubt that I had a great idea about what to do and how to approach it, and bam. And then I sort of put that away because I didn't think of myself as a director. And when the African American Shakespeare Company started up, what was clear was we did not have a director. We had Sherry Young had a vision of a company, but we didn't have somebody who would hold on to the identity of being a director. And so I ended up sort of creating that role. I found people to do it, but I was right over their shoulder for the whole process from the picking of the show to the casting to the production i was on charge of a lot of it and by the time i'd done that for a couple of years i was like oh when i started my own company oakland public theater i hired directors and then after about a year i was like i should go ahead and just direct something and mm -hmm. after that I just, I never looked back. You just took over. I hear you. I totally hear you. Uh oh, is my audio, my audio still there? Yeah. Your audio is here, yes. Okay, cool. I, I did want to ask you, Sharon, it sounds like the answer is no, but you haven't had any issues as a woman on stage, like, I don't know, like any casting couch issues or sexual harassment, anything like that. We've asked a lot of women, and it sounds like you've had pr very good experiences. Am I right? Um, I have been in uncomfortable positions before. Um. And I think uh, I think I've just also been privy to like that, uh, like a workspace that is not unsafe, mm. regardless of like if it directly affected me or if like I had like, you know, direct harassment instances happen. It still was like a knowing thing before. So, yeah, I have experienced that, whether directly or indirectly. Um, and I've also been in a show before this was when I was still like in college. Um, and I worked at a, a, a Shakespeare like festival and things were stacked against me because I was younger. I was like one of the only women of color in the entire acting company and I was an intern. Um, so I didn't have much like, and, and there was not much, uh, just communication between us interns and anyone higher. So there was like a, a true hierarchy. Um, and I was put in some, yeah, like unsafe, un uncomfortable positions with um, a stage 
choreographer, actually. Oh, geez. I hate to hear stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'd love for us to dive more into that. But, you know, we, we've gone long anyway. Um, what, what, about, what about your future? What do you want to do? Do you want to stay in the Bay Area? Do you want to venture out to New York or L.A.? Or where do you see yourself five years from now? Oh, my God. What a question. I, I'm also just feeling a lot of existential crisis of living in the Bay Area currently, trying to do theater in during COVID, no less. And um, um, yeah, in, in the process of this really sort of nasty, like eviction as well. And so I've um, been thinking about it a lot, like, wow, it's really hard to just make uh, make an appealing offer of myself um, to be approved for a house in this area. Um, mm -hmm. Among all, and my group is all actors and freelancers. So, um, and I know that opens up another can of worms, but it's been on the mind as, as well. And so, I've been thinking about like just locating um, somewhere new because of that. Although I know like New York is still so <laughs> very. Uh, yes, it's it's expensive too, as well. Yeah, expensive too. Um, but I also feel like I would love to experience theater there. Yeah, I think if that was the next, that would probably be the next like best thing. I know I'm like I'm so Bay born and red, but bred. Um, but I yeah, I want to experience like the hustle and bustle of theater makers where there's always something happening as opposed to like it's sometimes hard to even like really hear like what's going on in the grapevine in the bay area theater community i don't know if that's yeah my just like because right now where everything is virtual um but yeah i'd love to try new york yeah no I, I can see you being you know either sag after or equity and you know making it there because you know uh we didn't even get into whether you sing i'm going to assume that you do sing and uh, you know i'm sure you can easily easily you know make it there of course it's very competitive but you know you definitely have the chops for it um i want to i want to thank you so much for spending the time with us and you know it's been a fantastic conversation and uh, like i said i want to be respectful of people's time let's get into shout outs birthdays norman uh you have anything you got to cut your mic back on or unless you're coughing. His mic is off. OK. Um, ah. <laughs> that's OK. I'm here. Sorry, I was coughing. So I turned my mic off. Uh oh, COVID, COVID cough. Don't don't do it. <laughs> Birthdays. Uh, so I've got a few. Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant. Lordy. Kobe Appel um is a young man who i've known since he was a teenager and uh he is now a graduate he just graduated college and became fascinated with theater i'm not sure if he's still a theater guy but i got to use him this year on a, a zoom reading that we did of a genie baroga play um maddie may and so oh yeah maddie may yeah yeah got to do that this summer uh his birthday's coming up uh trish mulholland is somebody you talked about shotgun she is a stalwart of the shotgun stage she's an amazing actress she is so fun to be with she's so fun to watch her birthday is today uh, michael jean sullivan who i would hope people would know if they know bay area theater is one of the major architects of what's going on at the mime troupe right now mm -hmm. i'm going to skip some names because i think you will have them howard swain is 
is um, an actor I got to work with on The Tempest at Marin Shakespeare Company many, many years ago. Um, and it turns out that he, his, um, well, I don't even know what, to, what word to use for it, his resume. Um, he um, was one of the actors in some of the early works of Sam Shepard. So mm -hmm. Sam Shepard is a Bay Area playwright. Howard got to work with him. I, when I heard that, I was amazed. Um, I will skip another name. Benton Green is a, an actor who is now in New York. And you see him on TV every now and then. But he used to be in the Bay Area. We got to do a show in with thick description in San Francisco called The Seven. It was a hip-hop adaptation by Will Power of uh, Seven Against Thebes, an old Greek one of the Greek, um, the it's part of the Arist, not Orestes, um, Oedipal. It's part of the Oedipal trilogy. Oh, the Oedipal, Oedipal trilogy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The Oedipus series, uh, yeah. Yeah, and it's actually, by all accounts, it's actually one of the worst ones. It's later. It's the grandchildren of Oedipus. Um, but Will Power picked it up and did an amazing hip-hop piece called The Seven. Benton was the king, or one of the kings in that. Vera Y was a woman who used to be in the South Bay, African-American woman who was really making black theater happen in the South Bay, and now she's moved back east. Sylvia Creightons is somebody who I met after she had seen me in a few shows, and then I found out she was actually a theater artist in her own right. Yeah, and, and, and a great costumer. <laughs> and a what? And a great costumer. She She's done costumes for Central Works. I didn't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Sylvia Creighton's is fantastic, and she's been a guest on the A2. I'll let, I'll, I'll let you go back. Uh, Biera, uh, no, I said Biera, Sylvia. Eleanor Wright um, is a local uh, theater artist, director, and I will give her a special shout-out because I was looking for something to do for an online a Zoom theater class, and I saw that she had directed this play called Mr. Burns um, at Oakland Tech virtually uh, we saw it when uh, my son's graduation happened they mentioned it and i was like what is that and she got me a copy of it and i ended up using it fantastic play wonderful artist mm. uh claudia rosa is a latina been bay area theater for a long time which you would never know when you see her because she's a gorgeous young woman um and, and we've uh, had her on as a guest as well right and we got to work together with each one reach one so we got to go to juvie together a uh, couple more. Um, Eliza O'Malley is um, was my voice teacher and brought me into my first role in opera. Um, and uh, Belinda Taylor, who is no longer with us, but her birthday is coming up this week. She used to be the executive director of TBA Theater Bay Area. Um, I actually I think she was she was either the executive director or she ran the magazine. I. Those two folks worked so hand in hand, I was never clear exactly what her role was. But a major advocate for theater, even once she stepped down from there, she was still helping Bay Area theater out, being a major advocate in Sacramento. And the last one I have is also a person who is sort of tangentially theater, Ashley Boyd. She is the wife of John Warren, um, amazing director that I've worked with, and Ashley has been a huge supporter of the theater scene here. Those are the ones I have. Yep, uh, John Warren. I think we had him on uh, two years ago, we right? Did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let me run through my list real quick. Allison Payne. Uh, she uh, her birthday is was yesterday. Yep. I think I acted with her. It was um, Ruben Grijalva. He did a uh, movie, um, a quick short 
called um, oh shucks, what is it? Uh, Shadow Ball. And oh. I played, I played uh, James Cool Papa Bell and Allison Payne was uh, involved in that. Uh, also, two days ago, Olive Fox. Uh, she is a young. We don't we don't usually focus on the technical folks, but she's right. a stage manager who uh, did uh, Heather's that I worked with. Uh, this was uh, done at the Gateway Theater. This is at um oh shucks I'm I'm. It's along the Embarcadero. Uh, it's close to uh, the pier. It's it's close to the pier. I can't think of Fort Mason. It's it's uh, oh. theater at Fort Mason. In any case, Olive Fox. Uh, she she must be at least twenty years old. I mean, she's right out of school, but uh, I'm hoping that her career will go up and up. Uh, and her birthday was two days ago, three days ago. Um, Tia Harris, who is a te former teacher of mine at Duke Ellington School of the Arts, uh, mm -hmm. a wonderful woman. Just uh, she always had a smile on her face, always uh, had a hug for you know each student, and uh, really wanted to uplift us black kids to make us you know that we are black and proud. And speaking of a teacher, one thing that happened because this is we've had, I think we've this is our we skipped two weeks of doing the yay. Unfortunately, one of my one of my greatest mentors, Donald Lease, he passed away, I think, a couple of days ago. Oh, and um, it just tore my heart apart because, you know, he really taught us. He didn't just teach us acting. He taught us theater history. He taught us uh, all about the Elizabethan period and the Tudor period and, you know, all about Greek theater and, you know, how, you know, Thespis was the first actor. But he taught us black kids how to be. Uh, proud of ourselves you know he called us scholars you know i think of the movie with robin williams uh i forget that movie what is the movie called uh, the po dead poet society dead poet society yeah. he reminded me of that type of a teacher you know he really oh. uplifted all of us and so uh, i really lament the death of uh, don leeson you know just uplift his name In any case uh so tia harris happy birthday to you on uh, tomorrow julie kawabara she is a philippine actress uh, a, a bendel stiffer do you know Julie? Yeah, yeah. yeah she's her, in Santa with me. She was in yeah. the reading of that. No, she's excellent. She and her husband Chuck Laxon. I mean, they're a super couple. You know, they're always enjoying each other, and they're both very funny. I mean, it's almost like Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. You know, they're just Aww. so much in love. <laughs> and we're hoping to have them on the A again. Well, not again because they've never been on on February. We want to have couples on. You know, couples who have been involved or who became involved in theater. Uh, we want them uh, in. So if you can think of anyone who's who joined as a result of uh, theater and who fallen Michael in Michael James Sullivan and Valina Brown. Yeah. yeah. If, you, if you can think of someone, Sharon, you know, let us know. Yeah. Lee Rondon Davis and Kenny. Kenny. Yeah. Scott? Yeah. yeah. So sweet. And yeah. even in Melvin and, uh, and his, Jed, his partner. Yes. That's the next one I was going to say. Jed. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Going on. Um, Shay as uh, Shay Acevedo, Shay Angela Acevedo. <laughs> he was uh, my Chesterheims uh, in my play Foreman and Pat. Our Chesterheims. That's right, our Chesterheims. I totally <laughs> own that man. He was so wonderful. Oh, he was brilliant, and my cousins are still in love with him. Uh, his birthday's on Monday. Also on Monday, Michael Greeley, a fantastic yes. actress. Uh, she played um, Julia uh, Maria Callas. Uh, and won a, uh, a TBA award for that. And she was an ex-East Enderer. So uh, she and I have been on stage many, many she's, times. Yeah, she's incredible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Also on Monday, Jerome Gentes, the yeah. former uh, founder of Play Cafe slash Musical Cafe. Yay! On, and he's a fantastic um, writer on his in his own right. And he's done a bunch of, bunch of stuff at Playground, hasn't he? I believe yeah, so. Yeah, he continues to, yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
on Tuesday, on the 15th, Elizabeth Curtis, uh, she and I shared the stage. We did a Civil War Christmas. I'm looking at my posters. We did Civil War Christmas. She's a fantastic singer and actress. And I first met her at, uh, not Playground, it was Piano Fight. I don't know, Sharon, have you ever done Piano Fight before? Yeah, definitely. I love them. Yeah, no, they're fantastic. And so yeah. uh, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Curtis, I want to uplift her. Also, uh, also an actress that I met at Piano Fight is uh, D Doris Renee Bumpus. She's a fantastic black actress and singer. Her mm -hmm. birthday is on Tuesday. We did Sylvia Cratton's uh, Cratons. Uh, also Dave Moshler. I think you saved that for me, Norman. Uh, his birthday is, oh, uh, on Wednesday. He mm -hmm. is a, um, we had him on the yay. He's actually a conductor. He has an orchestra, the awesome orchestra. Huh. And they have worked uh, out of um, the Brooklyn Preserve which unfortunately has closed down. Yeah. But um, yeah, basically, and I worked with him, we did Candide, one of my first, you know, the one and only opera that, I, that I've ever done. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was a fantastic conductor and also a voice teacher and very young. You know, when I think of conductors, I think of someone like in their 60s or 70s, but he's like, I don't know. I don't even think he's 30 yet, but uh, he's done amazing work. Uh, let's see, Claudia Rosa, we've done her. Um, Nick Donaldson, uh, that's another um, husband, and also he works with uh, uh, a, his wife was a ex-Eastender. In any case, his birthday is Thursday. And the very last person I have is Kara Harold. Uh, she is a, a film director and also a writer, and I acted with her. Uh, we did The Marriage of Benton Boo by Christopher Durang way back in 2001. And uh, that is it. That's my list. Shows. Uh, the uh, so this morning, and I saved this, but this morning I um, Thomas Simpson of Afro Solo got in touch with me. He is putting together a I'm not sure what he's calling it. Uh, Black men <laughs> is all I really know. Um, but um, this uh, piece that is going to be a series of uh, solo pieces. So I'm working with Vernon Medeiros, um, an actor who has worked. It's funny, I got to be there as African, at the African American Shakespeare Company was. Norman, you're frozen. Norman, you there? Okay. Uh oh. You know, this is, this is, this is the tough thing of doing things in Zoom. Go ahead, go ahead, Norman. Go ahead, Norman. I'm directing Vernon solo piece. Yes, we hear you now. Hello? Yep, we hear you now. I'm directing Vernon's solo piece. So today we did a sort of check-in to see how the pieces were going, and I'm thrilled to say our piece was looking very well. So that should be coming together and be available on Zoom. I don't have a date yet, but in January. Okay. And also, Sharon, if you can, put, if you can push your piece, I think you're doing a piece uh, tomorrow, right? Yes, yeah, it's Desdemona, uh, written by Toni Morrison, happening with the Davis Shakespeare Festival. And right on. And uh, what, do you have anything uh, after that? Um, not at the moment. <laughs> not at the moment? <laughs> well, that's okay. No, um, uh, that's, that's perfectly fine. Yeah. Sharon, did, did you have a good time? I did, yeah. This was a wonderful, fruitful conversation. Thank yeah, you thank all. You. Yeah, thank you so much. And I wanted to go on and on and on, but, you know, I... <clears throat> 
<clears throat> I wouldn't like to say I want to be respectful of people's time. Well, uh, any uh, for those who are watching this on uh, YouTube, please like and subscribe and uh, write down your comments, you know, what you like and what you don't like. It always helps us when you subscribe because I'm always uh, looking for, you know, I want to get our numbers up so that we can tell other people in the theater community, hey, you know, the A is a place where, you know, we have insightful conversations and uh, we can also uplift any theater companies who want to promote whatever shows they're doing. And also, you may be listening to this. We're on uh, any podcast app. We're on Spotify. We're on the Apple Podcast app, that little purple app that's on your iPhone or iPad. If you're an Android user, you could use the SoundCloud app or just go on SoundCloud.com. The A was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise, if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up on Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram. I'm at Red Space Clay. Norman is at I'm at and Hoosier. I'm at Who's Your Hoosier. Thank you so much. And uh, Sharon, are do, yeah. are are you on social media? Is there a, a way that uh, people, potential directors, can hire you or contact you? Um, I can. I have an Instagram handle. I will drop. It's my last name Shao underscore Dynasty. Right on. <laughs> Facebook just found my first last name. Yes, thank you. And uh, I have a website. If you if yeah, please do button too yeah thank you yeah what's the website's name sharonshow.biz sharonshow.biz right on yeah if you know potential directors um sharon shaw is just absolutely amazing a a dynamic actress uh, with a great range so if you are a potential director or i'm sorry say that again what was that that shaw underscore dynasty shaw underscore dynasty Dynasty. yeah thank you as if, as if it got sounds it. like it sounds like what the third or fourth Chinese dynasty was that the Shao dynasty yeah, or whatever. Yeah. I got it. <laughs> I got it. And that's S H A O, not X I A O, right? Yes, that's right. Shao, exactly. All righty. Thank you so much. And we didn't even talk about the Thanksgiving or whatever, but uh, have a wonderful weekend, everybody. And as Norman and I always say, we gotta find. We gotta find a better sign off. And we. Oh, I'm <laughs>